You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling episode, I'm chatting with Mike Rucker. Mike is the Vice President, Branded Content at NBC News at NBC Universal. We talk about his move to New York in search of an acting career, a super unorthodox path to branded content that includes interviewing Maggie Gyllenhaal, meeting Peter Travers, and him finally ending up at 30 Rock after all. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and let me know what you think. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Now, please enjoy the show. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. I've been looking forward to this. You and I know each other, and so I think that you have some super interesting stories that I would love for you to share today. Uh, We'll get into them as we go through the show today, but I'm just happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. So you are the Vice President, Branded Content, at NBC News at NBC Universal. That's correct. It's a mouthful. It is. It's a long title. Yeah. You've earned it. Thank you. I think as you go through your career, titles get longer and longer. Yeah. Yeah. So as you get a longer title, maybe that's a sign of experience. Maybe, but it's also a target on your back. Hmm. Interesting. What do you mean by that? Um, you get into any organization and they become top heavy after a while. You're always kind of having to prove your your value. I'm not worried about it, but uh, it that is kind of a phenomenon that exists. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You have to be able to show this higher level of value. It's not necessarily just the work you're putting in an hourly basis anymore. It's really about strategy and vision and pushing things forward. Yeah. Are you making big forward moves for your department or company? That's an interesting viewpoint on it. And I think that's why people feel a lot more pressure as they become more senior. Absolutely. It's much tougher on a day-to-day basis to prove your value as well. You can't, you know, come in on Tuesday Uh, do a really good job of filling out that Excel file, and then say, I put in my hourly work Right. It's this weird kind of um, conundrum where you spend a lot of your time as, you know, a a senior management, uh, and the people that report to you don't really have a complete understanding of what you're doing. And so you get these questions sometimes of, you know, I feel like I'm doing all the work. What are you doing? It's like, well, I'm making sure you can do the work you need. I'm making sure the content that you create can be distributed distributed properly. I'm getting all the tools. I'm getting press board so that we can provide analytics, like the things that we need. So yeah, you're not seeing my output on a daily basis, but your ability to do your job is based on my ability to ascertain what you need and uh, kind of go for it. Yeah, I like that subtle press board plug <laughs> good. In there as well. I really appreciate that. We're going to make sure to leave that in the episode. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you are in this position at NBC Universal, and we're going to get into that. But I want to go back a little further. Was this always, you know, you knew you were going to be in this role one day? Was this always the childhood dream? Not at all. Um, I'd say for the longest time, I mean, I always wanted to be an actor. Like from a kid, I wanted to be an actor. Um, at the same time, I've always been a pretty good writer. So when I was in high school, it's when I really decided that I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted, I, I really thought I was going to be a newspaper reporter. And I remember we went, there was this day that you could go shadow like your dream job. So I was in Kansas uh, and I went to the Wichita Eagle Beacon and I followed a reporter around at the Wichita Eagle Beacon. And I realized what a 
crap job being a reporter actually is. It's a lot of legwork and drudgery of just, you know, re- reporting on a beat or doing something. And I, it, it completely shattered my illusions of, of kind of what I thought it would be. And I was in, I was in a really small town and I really didn't have a lot of vision or understanding of what the world of writing could be. So I, it didn't occur to me that I could be an author or I could be a film critic or an essayist or, you know, any other kind of thing. I, I was like, you know, really confused. So when I applied to college, I started in journalism and then just it wasn't clicking. So I switched over to marketing just because it was interesting. And if I would have had, it's so funny that we make kids decide what they want to be when they're 18 years old. Like there's, it's just crazy. Um, Because if I'd had the guts, I would have told my parents, you know, I really want to be an actor. I want to go to, I want to be in the drama department. I want to study. What uh, was it? What was it about acting? Because I wanted to be an actor for a while when I was a kid, too. I yeah. have a very specific reason that I wanted to be an actor. But what was it that drew you? You were in a small town. I'm sure there wasn't a lot of big actors that had come out of that town. I just love people paying attention to me. Mm, yeah, like the attention. <laughs> I mean, I was in children's theater when I was a kid. And, you know, I, just, I love it. I actually, I have, no, you know, on the way in, somebody asked me, are you nervous? And I was like, absolutely not. Put my microphone in front of me, no yeah. problem. So... I didn't have the guts to say I want to be an actor because it's one of those things where you just don't think your parents are going to go along with it. So I ended up studying marketing, but the bug was still there. I had an agent. I was living in Dallas, Texas at the time. I got an agent. I was doing some small acting jobs there, working in plays and children's theater again. And it was a very weird time. There was a lot, there were a lot of people from Dallas moving to New York. This was in the early nineties big the the club kids were still happening and you know one of one of my jobs was working in a nightclub so I knew all these people and all my friends were moving to New York and I uh, I remember one of my best friends had moved up and I guess she called me she was a little lonely maybe had been drinking and was saying you know have you ever thought about moving to New York and I literally had never even thought about it I'd never been here and she said well if you ever want to move up you could stay with me while you're looking for a place or looking for a job and so I had this really weird, random uh, set of circumstances that happened. Um, first, I bought like a lottery, uh, a raffle ticket for a friend's um, cool school kids raffle. And I won two round trip tickets anywhere in the United States. Wow. I didn't know. So I have two kids and they have raffles. And I actually was not 100% sure that there is winners in those yeah, raffles. No, yeah, there are. That's so good, good to yeah. know. So I won those, and then I was I was in a, sh- a play at the time, and um, the day of the last show, I parked outside in downtown Dallas, and my car caught on fire. I drove this real junker. I was like, a, I made no money. Um, and so it was like, well, I can buy a new car, or I can take what little money I have and take this plane ticket and move to New York. And so I called up my friend and said, guess what? I'm moving to New York. And she said, great. Where are you staying? <laughs> Your house. With you, remember? She didn't remember. So yeah, I came up here. I quit my job, came up here and enrolled in acting school, um, HB Theater on Bank Street, um, and went about the, the work of trying to be an actor. Wow. Uh, I wish that I had that even level of commitment when I wanted to be an actor. I specifically... Loved the outtakes on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay. <laughs> That's what I, I didn't 
like I never thought of remembering lines or what that would be like. I thought they were having so much like fun. fun. It was so much fun. Will Smith. Yeah. I wanted to be. I had to be on a show with Will Smith. Though. Okay, it yeah. was very. I had, had to be a on, very specific acting. I dream. wanted to be only in the outtakes of the Fresh Prince <laughs> of Bel Air. You can see why I didn't follow that through yeah, as far really as maybe you did. Specific dream. Incredibly. Yeah. Do you still? Uh, you know, do you do any improv theater or anything now to keep keep that going? I don't. I I it has. I've had friends who've done improv, and it absolutely crosses my mind. And I think I will get to it. Um, right now, I'm actually working. I'm doing more writing, and I love writing. And it's interesting because I moved to New York, and I'd say for two or three, no, more than that, uh, four or five years, I was really pursuing acting. I had a full-time job. I was working at Lowe's Theaters, uh, first as a theater manager. I managed the Paris Theater, which was my first job in New York, which is this magical job of movie premieres and, you know, really cool art movies and I got written up in the talk of the town so it was like this amazing dream job you know managing a movie theater working nights a lot going to school by day doing auditions and I did that for multiple years and rose in my day job so I became a, a marketing director for Lowe's theaters for the Manhattan district region I was responsible for anything that had to do with marketing the theater so we did a lot of movie premieres at Lowe's all around the city but we also use the movies, the theaters for movie shoots and television shoots and things like that. So we used to do a show once a week with, uh, it was for CNN. It was Lisa Schwartzbaum and Peter Travers. Uh, they shot their kind of movie critic, you know, their version of Siskel and Ebert. I don't remember what it was called. And um, we did it for like two years. And I remember just watching, well, I want to go back. Let me go back for a second and just say, the fun that people have acting and the fun that people have on a set appeals to me as well. Like, and even watching these two just shooting their, you know, in the, in the off when they weren't on camera, just how much fun they were having shooting the show really appeals to me, re appealed to me and still does. Um, and that would be one thing that I would love to, to do that for. But what I was going to get at is that over the years, I kind of developed a, re a relationship with Peter and both, both Peter and Lisa and I'll never forget, I was on the beach one summer, and I was reading David Sedaris's book, um, Me Talk Pretty One Day, and I was laughing out loud, and I had this like epiphany, like, I should be writing, like, this, I could write this kind of thing, and so that kind of fueled this, like, what else could I write, what else could I do, and so I, um, the next time I saw Peter Travers, we were actually in the Virgin Megastore in Times Square, just randomly, he was there, and I was there, and I kind of like rushed up to him with my eyes just like agog. Peter, what, what, what should I do? If I wanted to do what you do, what should I do? And he gave me great advice. He said, start reviewing every movie you see, write a review, and send it out to the publications you'd like to write for. And so... So simple, right? Like you look back and you think, no, there must be this whole process right. to it. It's like, no, just start doing reviews and then send right. it to where you like I didn't like study film critics, criticism. I didn't study film theory, anything like that. It was just like, do I like the movie? Uh, and so I did. I started writing reviews, and um, within a month, I got my first uh, review published. It was in a little magazine called HX, which was like the, the gay bar rag of the city. And Do you remember what movie it was? Of course. It was for Quills, okay. which was the story of the of Marquis de Sade with um, Jeffrey Rush. And was your review a positive review, or was it like a highly it critical? It was a positive review. Okay. And so... That started, and then I start. And this is back in the day when to 
deliver reviews, I was printing them out on paper and like either putting them in the mail or I was hand delivering things to Time Out New York every week, like right. literally going down there, wanting to make sure it got there. Um, and I started getting more and more jobs. And I really realized I've been trying to do this for two months, three months, four months, and I'm already achieving success. And I've been trying to act for five years and I did make progress. I mean, I got my SAG card and I was doing extra work on Sex in the City and stuff like that, but I wasn't, I didn't get the traction that I was getting writing. So I completely shifted gears. And, you know, looking back, it was completely a conflict of interest to be like the marketing director of a movie theater company and that by day and then, you know, reviewing the movies that we were showing by night. But, um, but yeah, I did it for several years and got to interview. I mean, Paul Rudd and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal had just come on the scene. It was the movie Secretary. And I remember we were talking on the phone. She was in her car. We were on the phone. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here in my apartment talking to Maggie Gyllenhaal. So it was a great, great job. Yeah, that's an incredible experience that so few people, you know, interviewed Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, ran into Peter Travers. Like... I think right. I think he's still the most quoted uh, movie critic of all time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I was reading about him, and oh. because his quotes were so often used, yeah, as like you know, that was were, my dream too, was to get my name in a quote, which never happened. But right. you know, my all my colleagues at Time Out New York, like they were on all the movie posters and all the trailers, like you know, and it's been very fun to see. We were at Time Out New York. We were all kids, like you know, late twenties, early thirties. And everybody's grown up. And, you know, so David Fear is now at Rolling Stone also with Peter Travers. Um, Elizabeth Vincentelli went to New York Post. And then, you know, so it's it's really interesting to see how we all kind of like grew up in this industry. But it's a small city and it's a small industry. So I'm glad I moved to New York. I'd never been here. I literally landed and had never been here. And I got to my friend's apartment and was like, I've just made the hugest mistake. Like I had ne- no idea what I would do, no plans. Well, um, your car was on fire. I mean, right, exactly. when your car is on fire, you are making some life <laughs> right, decisions. Exactly. How long did you end up staying at your friend's place? It was supposed to be for a few months, and I stayed for a year. Stayed and for we, a year. We lived um, in this great apartment on 45th Street and 8th Avenue, so right at Times Square. I made, I'll never forget this, I made $400 a week, and I thought it was so rich because in Dallas, the the like pay for a movie theater manager was like $200 a week. So, God, I sound like I'm 80 years old. Um, but uh, so I would like, I would rollerblade to work through Times Square at the Paris Theater. I was, you know, a five minute walk away from the TKTS booth. So here I am, you know, 26 years old, 25 years old. Tommy was on Broadway. God, there were so many shows. And I would either second act a show or I'd go to TKTS and a ticket back then was only like 30 bucks. So I saw so much Broadway. And I was there to be an actor, so it was really, really exciting. Yeah, really you, fun. you've had a very, like, unique New York experience yeah. to, you know, fly in yeah. on some free raffle tickets. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then show up and then, you know, run a fairly iconic... A totally iconic New York theater. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was there, not on premiere days, but, like, we were showing, we were showing Remains of the Day, which was this Merchant Ivory film, and... It was the only place playing in the city, and everybody came. So I remember one day I'm sitting in the lobby, and a guy comes in, and it's Liam Neeson. And he said, you know, I'm really sorry. We're lined up outside with everybody, and we're kind of getting 
you know, just a little not harassed, but, you know, people are kind of making a, a scene. Do you, would you mind if I came in? And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, I'm just going to go get the people I'm with. And he went out and he got Natasha Richardson and Vanessa Redgrave, her mother, and brought them into the theater. I'm like this kid from the South, just like, are you kidding me? And so I met so many people. It was really charmed. I mean, it was a really charmed way to move into the city. I think the one challenge here is going to be that we're going to have all these people listening that don't live in New York, and they'll be like, oh, that's right. That's how it happens. You fly to New York. You meet Liam Neeson. Yeah. Right? You run a movie theater. Yeah. You meet Peter Travers. Yeah. And then you, and then you then do you, movie reviews. And then you're an extra next to Bon Jovi and Sarah Jessica Parker in a, in a scene at the coffee shop yeah, that's how it in New York Square. Yeah. It's just but really what, easy. And what's going to happen is someone's going to come here, and they're going to work at Subway Restaurant. Right. And they're going to pay really <laughs> high rent. Uh, and it's just not going to be exactly the it's way that you promised it. I never really think about it. I never look back and think about how, I mean, I do, I count my blessings every day, but, um, how charmed it was. I mean, we, in the apartment building we lived in, it was called the Camelot. It was right across from, at the time was the Martin Beck theater. It's now the Al Hirschfeld theater. It was playing guys and dolls. Um, Times Square was still so sleazy. I mean, across from us was a porn theater and a hustler bar and, it was just this little magical to be in your mid twenties and just come to New York right at that time. Like it was so different. I, I talk to people now about how different it is for kids now in their twenties, 23, 24, 25 to come to New York. I mean, my rent was $300 a month. We shared it. It was an illegal sublet, but you know, the kids are paying, you know, $2,000 each a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and there aren't the little downtown theaters to, go see shows in and everything the clubs you know the club scene is completely different it's just a different city so i feel really lucky mm-hmm. well and if you think of where you work now and the building you work in again you're working uh, in 30 rock i can't believe it i like mean you're at the center of yeah. the media universe nbc universal jimmy fallon's in the building yeah on any i'm given in day. 30 rock all day long yeah. yeah it's crazy yeah i am um, and before that i was at time inc and it was the same i was like working i was vice president of integrated marketing at time magazine and it's like i would pinch myself walking in the door where it said time and life and i thought that was as good as it could get and then you know a few years later i'm walking to 30 rock it's crazy well you're either going to make it maybe maybe 30 rock was your dream and you were going to make it as an actor maybe or through branded content exactly (laughs) i mean there is a thread here though right you're in you're in marketing and advertising but you're definitely in the place that is closest to you know, entertainment and TV and yeah. radio, all of that movie making. So let's talk, let's talk yeah. about your role at NBC. Sure, yeah. So tell me, tell me about your area because you're specifically yep. within the news brands Correct. at NBC Universal. So talk a little bit about the, the area and the role that you have. It's actually really great because it, it marries my journalism background and my, my desire to, tell good stories um, with the ability to use my marketing brain and my business brain and to help advertisers create compelling messaging to consumers and not just ads that you want to turn off. And you know, it's funny just talking to you now, it just reminds me, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, we're telling stories about ordinary people and myself included, like there are people who have really great, incredible stories that are interesting. And, you know, today highlights them. The today show is great at like taking somebody and showing you these amazing stories by ordinary people. And I like working in a news division 
because we're still creating, we're creating the exact same kind of content that a news, that nightly news would do. They would, you know, do a spotlight on a small town that's making a revival or, or whatever. And so to marry this great journalistic storytelling with the actually funding and the, the ability to go tell these stories, you know, um, I mean, when an advertiser comes to us, they have a budget. And so, for instance, Cheerios came to us. I'm not really answering your question, but I'll get there. Um, <laughs> I like the path. I like the path you're taking there. Cheerios was really, they wanted to reach older people to promote the heart health benefits of their product. Here we get that we're given this money by Cheerios to go tell these great stories that like actually moved people to tears. I mean, just really, really special stories. And so it's gratifying on the creative level and on the, the business level. It's really great. So what we do just to answer your question is we create content on behalf of advertisers and in collaboration with advertisers, uh, to run across the NBC news properties. So that is the today show NBC nightly news, um, CNBC and MSNBC. So we're talking to advertisers across the entire gamut of advertising categories. So we're telling pet adoption stories for today on behalf of Swiffer. And we're telling, um, you know, 5g, uh, the way 5g is transforming the medical industry for Verizon. Well, I could see that because not only is news a pretty wide ranging topics, but these properties are also fairly wide ranging. Some of them are more focused on business news. Exactly. And like you said, the Today Show is covering, uh, you know, regular people yeah. and as well as celebrities, like and everything in between. Absolutely. Yep. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's really great. You know, I'm not knocking any other type of branded content because I think it all serves a purpose. A lot of my colleagues in NBC they're working with show talent, so they'll work with Gwen Stefani and The Voice on something, and I think that's awesome too. But as a former journalist, I find the news niche really is my niche. Yeah, I found also that there is a there's a decent amount of scale available in news. You can produce a lot of stories. Uh, you're doing a lot of them online, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, whereas sometimes if you're doing an integration with a celebrity like Gwen Stefani, I imagine there is a lot of hoops to go through for one thing. There's yeah. probably a fairly long lead time on that. Absolutely. And you can't be running a hundred things with Gwen Stefani. You can't just no. cover her in logos yeah. and products. No, it's a, it's a, and I have the utmost respect for my, my colleagues who do that kind of stuff because, you know, the great thing about NBC in general, and one of the reasons I feel so lucky to work there is it is a 90-year-old storytelling company. I mean, the content that NBC puts out is unbelievable. Um, and so to take This Is Us and find a unique alignment for State Farm Insurance, say, uh, that's a really important, it's a skill I don't necessarily have, or it's not something I use all the time. So yeah, so what I do, what we do is very different. We're much more lean organization uh, group, uh, just because we have to be. We have to be very nimble. We're producing things pretty quickly, and like you said, I'd say about fifty percent of what we do is video, and fifty percent is non-video. So, and people don't think about a TV company in that way, but we all we have websites, and so we'll do articles, uh, we'll do quizzes, you know, whatever, whatever, wherever the idea takes us. 
We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds, but first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. And I want to talk about one of the campaigns that you ran for J.P. Morgan. Uh, I think it's called Solve It. Yep, that's, yeah. uh, I was really super proud of that. That was the first of its kind in our in our entire company. It was the biggest uh, content-only deal ever sold by NBC, NBCU. Um, it's literally, they didn't buy media. They didn't buy any kind of other advertising or sponsorships. It was just branded content. Wow. Walk us through... Walk us through this whole process. J.P. Morgan comes to to you and the team and to NBCU. Like, what is that conversation? What are they looking to do, and how yeah. do you deliver on that? So, most of the, especially the big advertisers that come to us, we get RFPs, and you know, they're some of them are really small, but most of them are pretty substantial, and they outline who their target is, what they're trying to do. And so what we learned was that they really wanted to highlight their global strategists and their portfolio managers as thought leaders, as people that could be trusted. And the funny thing is, these people go on CNBC and Bloomberg and others all the time, but where they're from kind of gets lost in the mix, you know. So I think they originally were had an idea of a podcast, interestingly. And we, at the time, we weren't doing many podcasts, although it's something that it, more and more clients want, and so we're moving, definitely moving in that direction. But our idea was instead to create a linear show, quote, air quotes, show. So they, we went back to them and said, um, how about if we did a linear show? And we could create it as if it were a real finance episodic show. And we would have a host, and we would have a set, and we would have a graphics package, and it would be just like a show, but the only people ever interviewed would be J.P. Morgan uh, thought leaders. And they loved it. They loved it so much, it was great. And then we had to take it to our CNBC editorial team. And um, it went all the way up to the top, to Mark Hoffman, like the president of CNBC. And, and is that because, because this is going to, because it's going to be so similar to what you're trying to do is recreate that same feel yeah. that everyone loves yeah. from CNBC. Sure. Maybe you're getting so close to it that it's starting to maybe cover that, you know, that fine line. Well, absolutely. It, they, I think the concern was that consumers would be confused and think it were part of the CNBC programming. And, you know, they came to us and they were very blunt. They were like, you're trying to trick our consumers. And so I had a meeting. I mean, it wasn't just me, but I was in, in a meeting where we were kind of talking people through this. And I said, it's really a better consumer experience to speak to them in a format and a language and a tone that they're listening to. Um, you know, commercials are a disruption and nobody likes to be disrupted. So we're not trying to, we're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. It's going to be very clear that it's a JP Morgan show, it's going to have JP Morgan, you know, in the back, on the backdrop. 
but it's actually a better experience for your your users. Because um, these people who watch CNBC in the morning, they have it on constantly, and they listen to the. They may not be looking at it the whole time, but the, the volume's on. They're listening to it, so they listen to the commercials too. So we finally, and what was so great about it is they finally kind of understood where we were coming from, and they actually provided us with some production resources. We we edit um, at the Inglewood Cliffs studios of CNBC. Um, you know, we, we shoot in the NASDAQ where the CNBC, some of their shows shoot. Um, you know, the line goes straight out to their, their feeds. So they really got on board and they understand. So basically the way it works is the show runs every Wednesday in commercial time. So it's a full commercial pod of J.P. Morgan and then back to your regular program. Yeah. I love this idea that you create something that could be so good that it's not about tricking somebody. It's just that it's so good that it's as interesting as regular programming. Exactly. And I really believe that branded content can and should be, it should serve the same purposes. So, you know, on different brands of ours, some of it's entertaining, some of it's informative, some of it's educational. Um, but we strive to make the content as valuable to a to a user to consumer as any of the content that they would normally be getting from the same from our news brands. Well, if you think about it, if you're not going to do that, then why come to you? Like, it, why right. come to NBCU right. if what you're going to get is subpar work so that it's yeah. so obvious that yeah. it isn't? I've always found that this this merge between you know editorial and advertiser, uh, when done well, it should feel as good and be on the same bar, not as advertising. I think that being on the same bar as advertising is a really low bar. Yeah. Like if all you have to be is as good as a banner ad, right. you don't have to right. try that hard. But being as good as uh, editorial content yeah. that people are paying to have the access to in some way yeah. or another, uh, I think I think that's what the brand is looking for. Why else work with a media company? You may as well just exactly. go, to a, go to a creative agency. And that's what NBCU as a whole under our president, Linda Yaccarino, is moving toward is creating better commercial experiences across across the board. So not just branded content, but creating smaller commercial loads that are more impactful, but better engagement and better experiences for the for a viewer or a user, creating new commercial opportunities like throwing from a set uh, from the Today Show right into a commercial or picture in picture, trying to create content, uh, advertising as content. Um, and I think that consumers get it now. And that was one of the things also when we were talking to CNBC is like, these people who watch your shows are smart. <laughs> They're like CFOs and CEOs and CTOs. Um, they can distinguish between a commercial and uh, your editorial programming. However, if a J.P. Morgan global strategist is talking about how the markets are impacting retirement funds, that's of value to them and is of interest to them. And so they will listen to it. Uh, and it's better than, you know, you know, I kept saying the catheter ads. We actually don't run them. Other channels do. But I was like, you know, would you rather have a piece of interesting content that's valuable to the consumer or you know, I, I, I fall in and I can't get up. Right. <laughs> like, you know, I like that. Using a reference of something, there used to be this, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but when I worked agency side, they had this, uh, the hairy arm op option. So what it was, was you'd give two pieces of creative. Oh, I'm, right. I'm for sure throwing someone, some creative yes. director under the bus right now. <laughs> uh, you'd have two pieces of creative and they would be all somewhat similar. And the creative team wanted you yeah, to choose one of, of them. Of course. 
And so all they would do is make sure that the model in one of them had really hairy arms, guy or girl. That is hilarious. And it would subconsciously, <laughs> you wouldn't really choose funny. it. Yeah. And it was this common practice that yeah. happened. It was just this comparison. Uh, I, I think what's interesting about what we're talking about is this idea of advertising as content is going to become even more important as we move uh you know, away from linear in some ways towards, I mean, Peacock is launching yeah. and Peacock, I believe, is going to be ad supported. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So, but it doesn't mean that advertising is going to always look the same on no. Peacock. Like, I literally just came from a meeting right before I came to meet you and it was on NBCU is launching a new initiative called One Platform. And it is addressing the fact that digital advertising has changed um, the way advertising works. And without going into too much detail because I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but um, it's interesting because for so long people have bought television in in demos. And it doesn't make any sense uh, because, you know, 18 to 34, 18 to 49 is the number one demo, but actually 50 and above have the most spending power. And so why should I define someone? They use Judy Jetson as the, uh, as the model because Judy Jetson debuted the same year that Nielsen um came out or was invented and so judy jetson yes she's x age she has this she lives here she does this whatever but how much better to know that she goes three times a week to mooningdales they call it and that she uh is purchases insurance as a bulk and she shops at different stores and digital buyers have been buying this way for a long time and what they're saying is if we invented the television advertising model today how would we build it and it would not be built on demos so if we built this today we would build it in a way that addressed the way people advertisers are actually buying audiences and they're not necessarily buying an age demo they want to know people who have past behavior past purchase behavior or intent or whatever so it's very exciting to be in this time in a time we are right now at NBC because everything is going to change in terms of how we sell. And it's going to, it's going to be a hard fight against the inertia of just the way we've been doing it since 1960, whatever. But ultimately it's going to lead to better ad experiences, better ad effectiveness, the whole works. Yeah. I've always found this idea of buying on demo weird because I mean, you take an 18 to 49 year old demographic like they're, what is similar? They're buying the same things. <laughs> what is similar between an 18-year-old that's, you know, deciding on what college they might be going to and a 49-year-old in po- probably a different city that is, you know, deciding on what their retirement is going to be like. And but have three kids. Demo. Right, Yeah, exactly. and, and they're in the same demo. I think there's a lot more similarity. You could look at an apartment building and forget about age, and I bet the people in that apartment building are Shop more at the alike. Same stores, yeah. they go to the same places, right? Exactly. Yeah, they live in a similar, you know, they have an apartment, and if they have a dog, they have to take that dog for a walk. Whereas someone that lives in a house just lets yeah. it out the backyard. Like right. these are like moments in your life. Yeah. Uh, and you're right that digital has been able to do that based on these ideas of browsing behavior, uh, but also contextual relevance, yeah. right? And I think that's what's going to happen with streaming is you're going to have this idea that, you know, people that watch the same show might have similarities with each other personality types that are similar that aren't defined by the age that they are right. or even the city that they live in sometimes exactly so i think it's quite interesting what's yeah going it's to really i think it's really cool i think and it's funny because again in this in this meeting i was just in you know when when nielsen started bc had seven hours of programming like 
that was it, a, a day, a night, seven hours. And I think we have like 2,100 hours across all the verticals and whatever. And you have to go through 2,100 or 2,500 line items. It, it's just a nuts. Yeah. It's, it's nuts there that we're still selling in the way that we did so long ago. Right. Well, there is this inertia that happens because uh, we saw it in the print industry too. The print industry went through a time of success for so long. That's the thing is I, I've thought this about even companies. The reason companies can't change very easily is if you've had success for 20 years, think of you personally. If you've been successful at something for 20 years, good luck changing that yeah. personality. Now try and do that with a company. Right. That's hard. Now try doing that with an entire industry. Sure. Right. I mean, I was in it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are sales Time Magazine. They just sat back and with their feet on the desk waiting for the orders to come in. Yeah. Um, but I feel really lucky that I was at Time Inc. at a time of the digital transformation because TV is even slower than print because print was really going up in flames and they needed plan B. And so digital was plan B. Uh, and now... What's interesting about being at, at NBC is that it's not going up in flames. Actually, you know, revenues are great and, you know, people are watching more television across all the different devices. But it was that they recognized that, A, digital was going to become, I mean, television is digital now. I mean, between OTT, streaming, apps, the works, it's, it's across everything. None of us have antennas. You know, we're not getting it on broadcast on air. So they recognized that. TV was becoming digital, but also that there were these huge pots of money that they just weren't even, they were just leaving. They weren't even going on the table. So it's really interesting to be there now and see the same diversion to digital, but for a different reason yeah. than, than, emerge, than panic mode. Yeah. Well, I think we've learned so many times from all of these changes that there's just going to be another one. Like it'll continue oh, to yeah. evolve. This streaming change is going to be a fundamental change to the TV yeah. business that probably hasn't happened, yeah. especially as you see like big linear uh, companies like, and which would have been traditionally a linear company, right. releasing Peacock, which is going to have yeah. both ads are going to change and the way that content is delivered. That's a monumental shift yeah. for an organization. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see. And I'm excited about branded content in that space uh, because the delivery is really similar to the web yeah. where it isn't about, you know, a spot at a time. Right. It's just based on the person consumes it. Maybe they decide to consume this show. And then that's followed by a piece of branded content yeah. because there's something really interesting around these advertising budgets to be able to ship, support things like documentaries and well, that's, films. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I am so excited to be able to do a five-part series that has its own shelf on Peacock eventually. I mean, that's not going to happen initially, but down the road you can see us working with a, with a client that has, um, you know, a CSR initiative or, or just wants to align with a specific topic or theme and going out and creating amazing documentary features in multi-part series that can be binged the same way you would binge anything else on Netflix or Hulu or Peacock. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea. And maybe you could even get an acting role in one of <laughs> right, those. Exactly. And we could just gonna, do a full circle. Work on that. And then you could review it. Right. <laughs> and it would appear in Rolling Stone. Great review. Right, exactly. And it would be to the perfect completion of this circle full of circle. time. <laughs> well, I have loved having you on the show. Thank you. I love hearing the story of how you came to New York. It's a very inspiring story. It feels, that feels like a movie. And you're the actor awesome. in that movie. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I love that you found a place at 30 Rock. Me too. Thank and you. that it's a really exciting time. 
for NBC Universal. Totally. Yeah, exciting time for you yeah. as well in branded content. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I'm going to ask you, we ask for a favorite book or favorite movie. For you, mm-hmm. being a movie critic, I'm yeah. going to ask you uh, for your favorite movie of all time. God, it's so hard to answer because it changes on a daily basis. Well, not a daily basis, but on how I feel. But I'd say that there are a couple of movies that I, that I just go back to over and over again. I love what my my number one answer is is Anti Mame, the Rosalind Russell movie. It's brilliant and so ahead of its time. Contemporarily, I loved Sling Blade and Magnolia. When I got my job at Lowe's, I was going to see The Lost Boys for the third time, and I ended up seeing it twenty seven times oh at the movie theater. Uh, and then lastly, um, there's a movie that if it's on cable and I'm flipping channels and it's there, I automatically inevitably stop and watch it and that's working girl it just it's such a great movie it holds up so well it's hilarious um so yeah so it's a weird random mix of movies. i love that that's a great mix of movies something for everybody yeah <laughs> well mike thank you so much for being on the show i love talking to thank you. you it's my pleasure we'll chat soon all right take care thank you so much for tuning into the science of storytelling don't forget to leave us a comment we love hearing from you We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single one. See you next time.